As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Oh, hi. I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Art of the Hustle is a production of iHeartRadio. You're listening to The Art of the Hustle, the show that breaks down how some of the world's most fascinating people have hustled and learned their way into achieving great things. I'm your host, Jeff Rosenthal, co-founder of Summit. And on today's episode, I had the pleasure of interviewing my friend, Baron Davis. Barron is a two-time NBA All-Star over his 13-season career, a lifetime entrepreneurial creative, an angel investor, and the founder of Black Santa and his venture studio, Big. He was one of the early investors in both Vitamin Water and Thrive Market and seems to have his hand in every manner of entrepreneurial endeavor that one can. I was particularly interested to learn how Barron dealt with pressure throughout his career, and I really wanted to know what makes a great captain on the court and off. Since he was 23 years old, he's essentially represented himself, firing his agent, negotiating his own contracts, and building these businesses from the ground up with a tribe of mentors. He's really used his position to gather a group of creatives and entrepreneurs and thoughtful people that power him to be in all these different disciplines at once. So with that said, please enjoy my interview with Baron Davis. Baron, welcome to the podcast. What's up, Jeff? What's happening, my guy? We are, uh, you know, not too far away from one another, both on the west side of LA. Facts. You know, we've been buddies for a little bit, but anytime I get to do these podcasts, I get to learn a lot more about, you know, my buddies. And, and it's just incredible. You know, you grew up here, went to school here, played here for some time. Did you always maintain a home in LA, even when you were playing on teams around the country? Yeah, I, did. I actually lived in Vegas. That's where I trained. So I would always like have an apartment here right after the season. Then uh, I would go home to Vegas and train there from July to September. Why, why would you train in Vegas? When I was young, I had money and I realized that it's probably not a good thing for me to live, you know, in the city that I was poor in. And, and plus Vegas gave me a, a place away. It was a lot of NBA guys. We had decided to kind of use Vegas as our training ground before the pre, you know, before a uh, season started. And so, you know, it was a good way to get away, still have a little bit of entertainment. But for me, it was like it was quiet and I could just focus and start locking in for the season. You know, you're an entrepreneur, you're an investor, you're a multiple company founder. 
you're, you know, very, very sought after venture investor and angel investor. You're an early investor in vitamin water and, and in a thrive market. But, you know, I, I want to take it back to, you know, where you came from. Los Angeles, California, South Central Los Angeles. Uh, for me, it was, you know, growing up on the east side of Los Angeles, being uh, raised by my grandparents, go to church on Sundays, play basketball after school every day until the sunlight, I mean, to the street lights come on. Uh, kind of like what Warren G rapped about. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so just kind of lived that life and saw a lot as a young kid, a lot of poverty, a lot of homelessness, a lot of drugs, a lot of gangs, murders, you know, just kind of saw the worst of the worst. And I always say for me and my sister, we kind of like use that as for us a form of comedy. You know what I mean? As dark as that is, but just a way to numb ourselves and keep ourselves focused on, you know, our dreams and who we wanted to be. From there, got a, a scholarship to Crossroads and kind of re- realized that I had an opportunity, you know, uh, more than most uh, from my neighborhood to, you know, see what the other side of town looked like and be able to explore that, you know, with some freedom without having to look over my shoulder. But the only thing in front of me was really the access that, you know, everyone else was you know, sort of kind of born into and privileged to already, you know, already have. So for me, it always felt like I was catching up, always felt like I was surviving, you know, being nimble enough to kind of shape change and shift. You know, I think that kind of like bred, you know, me to be a, a, a person who looked at these opportunities and said, hey, for every route I take, you know, to from South Central to Crossroads, I want to be able to build a bridge so kids can have the same opportunities. And so L.A., can be a more unified city. And so that's, that's just kind of like me in a nutshell and my journey, you know, up until UCLA and then the NBA. But, you know, that's kind of like, I would say my theme or, or the mantra that I always carry was, you know, be a bridge builder. When you were growing up and when you did get ID'd at Crossroads, clearly you were already an exceptional ball player by that point. And for those that don't know Crossroads, it's like the most exalted like private school or one of them in Los Angeles, in California. And I'm sure it must have been an incredible, you know, experience in like a totally different culture for you when you when you when you shifted over and when you started going to school there, yeah? Yeah, it was. You know, for me it was like I was good at basketball. I wasn't there for basketball. Uh, I was five three in ninth grade, so nobody ever thought that I was gonna be the next anything. Okay. <laughs> Outside of a good student and somebody who could get an opportunity to get a scholarship from, you know, a place like South Central being out of school at Crossroads. So you were a good student? I was a crafty student. Okay. I was a good student. (laughs) I was not a good student. That's why I ask. For me, being at Crossroads was like, I was trying to absorb all the kind of, like, it was almost like Disneyland, right? And so there were so many different personalities of people that, you know, sometimes I cut class to like, hang out and have these conversations, right? So even in high school, it was almost like, you know, school was important, but it was always kind of like networking and understanding people. That's so funny you you put it that way. Um, you know, when we threw, when I threw my first summit event was at the White House. We had like, you know, finagled our way into uh, getting this meeting together. They were like, we need to get together with the top young entrepreneurs. We we're like, sure. We didn't know any of them. And we just cold called and hammered or whatever. But uh, we were at that briefing and the briefing couldn't have been more boring. And I remember walking out in the hallway and seeing people talking and hanging and like getting excited and talk, like, you know, comparing notes. 
and like the information that was being shared there in the hallway and the learnings that were happening there between, you know, friends um, was really the thing that was going to like, you know, set us ablaze. And it's funny that you as even in, as early as high school kind of seemed like you had that innately, you had that, that realization and that, that style. Uh, you know, I think it, it just, just humbly, man, just come from the people around you, you know, the people that raise you, you know, the people that you see, the people you try to emulate. And for me, you know, I think it's important to be like a sponge, right? And like to adapt, you know, people that you admire, their personalities, their style, and kind of just be a listener and a learner. You know what I mean? And growing up, it was survival. It was taking advantage of opportunities, but also putting yourself in a place to taking advantage of an opportunity. Well, and as an NBA player, you had that reputation, you know, You've, and, I've, and I've heard you give that advice before just to study and to study your opponents and study, you know, your industry and you got to know the playbook and the coach. And I love that you, you know, you bring it there. And, uh, and, and I want to know, so, you, you know, you're such an entrepreneur. When did you start becoming an entrepreneur? When did you, at what point in your career did you start focusing on that? I would say my entrepreneurism started when I was in like high school and college. So I had a clothing line. Uh, I was rocking a clothing line and I went in partnership with a guy who was like selling stuff at the local gyms. That was like the first time I recognized my value and the power of like, you know, just kind of being an influencer as one of the top players in L.A. Like I'm rocking this new line. It's not Nike. It's not Adidas. It's something else. And everybody else is buying this stuff. So I went to the founder and I was like, hey, man, we need to partner up if I'm rocking all this. I need some free gear. <laughs> and when I introduced myself, he was like, hey, man, I'm best friends with your cousin. And I was like, he was like, I'll teach you what you need to know. And so like that's when I formed my first partnership and the brand was called Spot Up. It's I can't believe that you did that in high school. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was uh, it was funny. And then I took that to college, you know, uh, would give my teammates gear, things like that. No, I always felt like there were ways around rules. Tell me more, though. What do you mean? So you you would hook your teammates up with gear at UCLA? Yeah. You know, being here from L.A., I knew everywhere to go to, like, thrift shop. I knew, like, you know, who was building, like, cool new brands, right? And so I would go to them and be like, yo, man, let me get some gear. And then I would get the sizes for my teammates. So. There was a new like leather jacket company. We was I was there at the showroom floor, like cobbing. <laughs> I love that. What do you think when you reflect on like those early years, you know, those early years, um, high school, college, like the things that you took to the NBA, the things that you took to your early career, what do you think set you apart? You know, it sounds like you would hit the books and and study your opponents in a way that, you know, other people might not invest in. But what do you think it was that, like, you know, I, I don't really like the excuse that, like, oh, so-and-so is a phenom. You know what I mean? It's like, well, clearly you had some characteristics that, you know, really set you apart from the pack. And I think, it, you know, it's, it's really watching the beauty and the people that came before you that set such a high standard, right? And, you know, it's something about the pressure of reaching your capacity, Right. That makes, you know, makes certain people stand out and not. For me, I think basketball was always like a part of my soul. And so it, you know, a part of my gift was also a part of my curse because you can love something so much that 
you know, it ultimately hurts you. That's probably why I got injured a lot is because no matter what, you just couldn't keep me off the court. So even an injury, even with a little knickknack, you know, that could be, you know, uh, monumental later, you know, I'd rather play because that was my freedom. You know, for me as an artist, and I think for Crossroads, kind of allowing me to, you know, just kind of explore art in a way that gave me freedom, you know, freedom of expression, freedom, freedom of speech, you know, and, and, and just kind of learning through that, basketball became my art. And so at some point, you know, I, I believe early in my career, it was like, okay, what kind of player do I want to be? And do I want to be a player that, you know, I'm going to allow the critics to judge me? Or am I a player that when I walk in the room, you know, my peers are like, yo, he was cold. That's the route I chose because I knew, you know, being in a small market team, you know, there's only so high you can go and so much access to free agent talent. So for me, it was like, man, earn that respect of the Kobe's, earn that respect of the Michael Jordan's, you know what I mean? Earn that respect of the LeBron's, the D Wade's, you know, the top guys, you know, in the league. And then when you walk in the room, and they're in the room, there's a respect. It's interesting to hear you say that, prioritizing the view of the shoulders that you were standing on top of, in a sense, right? Like as a player in the league, like those that really like blaze the path versus like the critic. It's not about necessarily what's happening like in the stands, it's happening on the court. And, you know, like you seemed pretty impervious to pressure, man. Like whereas pressure seemed to, you know, especially at that level, um, you know, it certainly has a crushing effect for you. It seemed like pressure made diamonds. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, you kind of like as a child, you practice that five, four, three, two, one moment. And as an adult, you get to live it. There's so many layers. Like I'm, I was watching The Last Dance and uh, Michael Jordan, when he missed that shot and it rimmed in and out, and it was almost like he was playing with the bat because he couldn't, he could, you know, that's all he could think about. And when they asked him about pressure, he was like, you guys felt more pressure than I did. You know what I mean? If that's pressure to you, then that, you know, like that's a joke. And so to see somebody like Michael Jordan operate on the highest level, for me, it was just pressure was something like hero or the goat. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so one, it's like, you have to have a certain belief that you're lucky. You have to already imagine it, believe it, have done it, have done it in your mind thousands and thousands of times. And so the feeling of having the ball in your hand with the game on the line, there's no better feeling. And would you visualize? Did you practice visualization? Would you actually like, you know, sit in your hotel room? Before? Absolutely. Usually like right before I would go to nap, you know, uh, take my nap. And then when I wake up, you know, I kind of wake up, be in the bed and just go through the checklist. Right. Just kind of like visually drive myself to the arena, see the guys, you know, feel how I felt before I got up from my nap to know, OK, now I see myself. Now I see the goal. OK, I should be feeling like this when the lights come on. We'll be back with more Art of the Hustle after the break. 
Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hermosi, Layla Hermosi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of MoviePhone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. And, and were you, through this whole time that you were playing, were you an entrepreneur? Were you investing in companies and starting ventures? Or did you really get into that later in your career? No, so I started when I was 21. I started, I invested in volume and water. At 21? Yeah. You know, I went out, became my own agent, invested in vitamin water, did my own marketing deal, did my own deal with Reebok, started a tech company called iBeatYou.com. I want to say in 2006, 2005. Yeah. I, and then I made a movie. You know, I, I, I made a documentary on Crips and Bloods when I was with the Warriors. Uh, I had started a tech company that was a match.com for mentors called Team Play. You know, just kind of like was always serial in looking at deals, looking at companies. And for some strange reason, you know, people always had a deal that they wanted to show me. 
And so for me, I kind of like listen, listen, watch, you know, passed on everything pretty much and decided like, hey, let me start to, you know, see what I can build as an entrepreneur with my friends. And so we kind of started our little collab studio where we would come up with ideas and things like that and, and partner with, you know, investors and celebrities. And for me, as you know, at that time it was, you know, I was basketball first, but on this, uh, in the off season, it was learning to become the business guy, the idea guy, the marketing guy, the content guy. And so that kind of, uh, exercise right and creating these little startups going through the ups and downs as an entrepreneur you know some successes some fails you know allowed me to just really get a good palette of what business was going to look like when i retired i'm curious some of the lessons like you know from your career you know some of the things that i think about you know just in terms of the 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 crossover is just you know teams man like how do you you know the team cohesion that ends up leading to victory right so when you think about you know the best teams that you played on and and the best teams that you played against, what do you think the characteristics are that are most important? Uh, communication. When you're on a team, you, uh, they always say you work in a chain, and you're only as strong as your weakest link. And so, communication in basketball is super important, especially like knowing the plays, knowing where you're supposed to be innovating on the fly, and also understanding your teammates. You look at that throughout sports, and then you, you start looking at that in business if you're running a company. Communication is key, right? Because information is sort of like misinformation is your worst enemy, and information and things that you don't get that slip down the cracks is, you know, a point scored against, People have asked you, you know, like, who are the fiercest players you played against or like who, you know, surprised you. And I've heard the stories about John Stockton or, you know, some of these other guys that really, you know, impressed you. But I want to know, like, who are the best captains? Who are the players that you think stewarded that communication that led to victory? For me, it's always, you know, great point guards like Jason Kidd, Magic. Tim Duncan, who wasn't a point guard, but a captain, someone like that, who a lot of people consider quiet, but was probably the guy that was talking all the time. And if you talk to any NBA big guy or guard, they could probably imitate all the things that Tim Duncan <laughs> would say. Kevin Garnett just had a great like captain spirit and captain leadership, obviously, LeBron James is is someone like that. I think Kawhi Leonard is someone that may not get enough credit for what he actually brings to the game. And similar to a Kobe and a Jordan, where, you know, ultimately, if he's on the court, he's going to be the player giving the most and the best effort. Sometimes being a captain is really in the actions Right. And not yeah. are sometimes it's in being the best politician, right, to get things done or, you know, being the most vocal and, you know, the person that is running the operations. 
And do you apply those lessons? Like when you think about, cause I mean, clearly, you know, like you're, you're, you know, this is why I asked the question and you have a real read when it comes to the sport. And do you, is it something you look for in founders or in CEOs when you're thinking about companies you're going to invest in? Absolutely. One, I would say the founder and the team, the mission, the vision, and, you know, if they have the confidence and the tools to get it done, and then we look at it and say, how can we coach from the sideline or how can we maybe jump in or find the free agents necessarily needed to help this team win? So, you know, we're looking at who's the captain, who's the leader, what's their vision, right? We're looking at what does the team consist of, how strong is the team, and how well do they know not only this playbook, but know what their what their business inside that game is. And talk to me about what you're doing now. You know, like how are you how are you dividing your professional time at the moment? So for me right now, uh, focusing on you know building our what we call like a management factory or an incubated studio that uh, usually people like to call it, and it's called Big Business Inside the Game. I always say I got my MBA from the NBA. Uh, And so using the business inside the game of basketball and the NBA, I learned a lot in marketing, biz dev, tech, you know, and where all these jobs and opportunities existed. And so with that, you know, we wanted to build out, you know, four pillars that really, you know, gave us an opportunity to look at the business inside the game of sports and culture and say, hey, let's invest in the right companies, right? Let's find and manage the right entrepreneurs to help them find a path of success. Let's incubate the right companies with the right entrepreneurs and the right teams. And then also let's create workshops that allow us to teach and educate and build you know, the next generation of talent to know that these businesses exist. And so that's what we're doing with Business Inside the Game. And, you know, so a management factory that, you know, produces, you know, our own incubative companies and invest in companies that we like and I feel like the next evolution of culture. And then third, just really looking at minorities and African-Americans as, you know, entrepreneurs and, you know, vendors and, and, and seeking those opportunities to enable them to get those deals or that business development to help them escalate. Totally. And like, you know, I'm an investor and a company builder and there's all these, you know, white male, for the most part, investors cruising around LA or SF or whatever, and not to disrespect all of the great female investors and, you know, people of color who invest. But I want you to tell me just honestly, like, what are we sleeping on for the most part? Like, what is the piece of this that we just don't see that you guys, you know, have a hold on? For us, it's really responsibility, accountability, and where um, intent meets purpose. For so long, let's say from an economic standpoint and an investing standpoint, brands or corporations or investors have always figured out a way to say a lot and do less. Like like every Black Lives Matter post without any Black Leadership Council or, or yeah, board yeah. members or you know, et cetera, at the company. Got it. Yeah. And it's like when you look from a social standpoint, you know, uh, I would say black people have been the most marginalized here outside of Native Americans and, you know, currently uh, the Latinos. 
for the longest and to not really have the opportunity to have an economic infrastructure, right? And always be the builder or the giver or the hard worker to have an opportunity to say, all right, you've done a good job, right? When, you know, I would say the generation before us had to, you know, work at jobs 10, 20 years, 30 years, right? To even get uh, an appreciation party, right? Building, you know, some of the bigger tech firms that we have, medical systems, things like that. And I think now is an opportunity for a lot of these companies that have benefited from minority businesses, right? Small businesses, they've created a value system that, you know, makes the American dream unattainable. And so we have lost focus of what that dream is. And we have lost focus on what our contributions are to building a better place, a more unified place. And so a lot of these companies, they'll stand up and raise a flag and say, hey, we're going to, you know, even to the point where, hey, we're going to donate, you know, $2 million to BLM. And, you know, it's like to where, for what and how and what is the goal? You know, you see a lot of these kind of fragment announcements, right? And they're really just announcements because you never really see, you know, the opportunity for success growing out of anything that they put forth in their statements. I think we're in this moment now where we really need, you know, market-based solutions for the problems of our time. To your point, you know, it's it's absolutely needed for us to, you know, give money to worthy causes and missions and movements that shift sentiment. But in order for, you know, the means of production and economics to be in the hands of more people, it has to be a market-based solution. It has to be, you know, companies where the equity, the actual ownership is going to benefit more than just the typical investor class. And it sounds like that's a big focus is diversifying those ownership groups, those leadership teams. Is that what you're thinking? Absolutely, man. It's, it's really, I would say the world needs color right now, right? And that's where the opportunity comes from. You know, LA has been so segregated and divided by, you know, the haves and have nots, right? Even being gentrified, right? It's still segregated from an economic resource perspective, right? When you look at 70% of homeless are African-American. You know, you look at Watts, you look at South Central, you look at Compton. One Uber, one ring that has a corporate park and an operation out of Compton wins big for the community. That's what we want to focus on is like, how do we build micro wins, right? And then how do we invest in opportunities that could build, you know, macro success and legacy success? Well, and, you know, when I think about your own enterprises, one that always makes me so happy is that you are the Black Santa, correct? Yes. I am not him, but I created him. This was when I was, when I got hurt for the Knicks and I wanted to basically make movies and create content that I felt minorities needed and black people needed. Black people need to see themselves as heroes. We needed to see ourselves and laugh. We needed to make fun of culture, accept culture, things like that. And so with that, I wanted to create a hero and a character that 
one, appealed to all people. And so through Black Santa's eyes, is really an inclusive eye because all kids are great to him, right? And it's not about the naughty or nice list. It's really about, you know, uh, the opportunity to give, the opportunity to bless someone, right? But for African-American kids and Black kids, to see someone that's jolly, you know, unalarming, all the great qualities that you would look at to a Santa Claus, And for me, it was like I started from the bottom by saying, like, as a kid, you know, we don't even have any cartoons or heroes that we can be waiting up at night looking in the window. And so, you know, just start really looking at the DNA of what holidays meant and how can I define a character that really, like, start to shape and change people's views and imaginations about what the future of the world would look like. Man, it's so early to the party. And you're building content now that's more diverse content, correct? Yeah, so with Slick, our thought was to kind of build out our own studio where we would source ideas from our culture. You know, Hollywood, Netflix, the Hulu's, the Amazons, for every Wu-Tang, there's nothing else to back that up. And so there's not a surplus of like, our culture and our stories being executed on a main stage. And so what we're doing with Slick is really just creating these projects and collaborations with talented, you know, filmmakers, creatives, creative agencies, and building content that, you know, people can actually digest, watch. And, you know, it's not as long as a movie, but it's just as exciting and gives you the same kind of emotional feel. Art of the Hustle will be right back after this short break. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hermosi, Layla Hermosi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings 
from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of MoviePhone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I do want to transition a little bit, you know, on the moment that we're in and how important that is to like, you know, have these archetypes and these icons and these heroes and these representations of people that look like you, you know, in the media that you consume so you can see yourself in those, in those shoes. Um, how, how is this moment affecting you? You know, I'm, I'm, I mean more the movement for black lives. It's really gaining global awareness right now, more so than, you know, the pandemic. I'd love your insight on that and just how it's affecting you and your feelings on the moment. Yeah, I feel like there 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 is an opportunity in the moment uh, for change. I think I would always say to myself, in the midst of chaos, stand still and kind of let things evolve around you. And I think that there's a great opportunity for change. When you look at the BLM movement, it was other races, right, standing front line right? Saying enough is enough. This is not about what it used to be. Everybody's a human being and not everybody's treated equally. It was a culture of this next generation of people that said, you know what? Enough is enough. And it's different races standing with us, you know, uh, different tribes of people, different collages of people, you know, standing and protesting peacefully and standing up and using their voice for the right things. I started to see change and opportunity for change to really be the next generation or the legacy, right, that's actually responsible for that and taking it a step deeper than taking down the name of Aunt Jemima or Uncle Ben and saying, no, 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 no. We all want to see more. And so once we have that kind of fair measure, then we can actually start to feel comfortable sharing and having opportunities to share our culture and our culture from what we can learn with the rest of the world. And, you know, for so long, when you look at culture, you look at pop culture, or you look at hip hop, or you look at sports, you look at art, you look at music, you look at fashion, right? You look at all these places that we're touching, that's culture, right? And, you know, culture around the world is starting to unite around more kind of like-minded vision, right? And shared interests. 
right? Because through our eyes, you know, we don't, we don't, we see the beauty in people and not the history of how they were oppressed, right? Or the continuation mm-hmm. of how they were oppressed. But it's different for us, right? Because when people see us, they, they're already privy to the same knowledge and the information that we are, right? And we don't get a chance to have our heroes, our outlets, you know what I mean, or our companies, or our vision met because there's really not a landscape or a really fair playing ground when it comes to that. You know, that's my take. There's not a lot of opportunity. If you look at the number of black venture people, you look at the number of black people on boards of Fortune 500 companies, right? You start looking at, you know, just the economic value of the spin and the economic value of the retention, right? Uh, It's really just a math thing. You have friends everywhere from every standing you know, you can speak to presidents and you can speak to people in South Central. You know, what, what are the common places? How do, we, how do we all talk to each other more versus seeing past each other? You know, I think before we start talking, start listening. And before you start reacting, start thinking about and putting yourself, you know, in the shoes of the people that are communicating or you're communicating with. A lot of times, a lot of things get lost in translation because of the way we go into these conversations. When you think about the culture, right, and you're talking about how it affects business and music and art, and like, you know, I think about the culture being exported all around the world, um, you know, often via NBA games, right? Like, and of course, all the other cultural products that come out of the African American community, but you're probably right in the modern era, like, what you know has moved more globally like what culture has had a greater sort of transference and people feel so much personal ownership over all of it so i am just curious your thoughts on like you know the nba today and playing in the bubble and you know what players can do now to be a part of the movement yeah it's you know i think players are doing their part right they've been marching they've been standing up um you know the bubble is going to be interesting uh one thing we want to do is like Pray for their safety and hope that we can have, you know, a playoff and a, and a finals and, you know, guys get through it uh, healthy, which is the most important thing. And then one, you know, those guys understanding their messaging and how they can continue this message. That's the most important thing is now that they're going to have platform and have their platform back. Now the message can continue to go. Right. Because a lot of times there's momentum and things die down. You know what I mean? And so that's kind of how life is. Right. And how life has always gone. And I think by them getting back and championing, you know, what they're doing just makes things all the more better. Well, homie, I really appreciate you taking the time, Baron. You're an incredible dude and a great entrepreneur and a great investor and an inspiring ball player. And like, you know, we've had the pleasure of, you know, getting to know you from afar, you know, as fans for a really long time. And I'm really appreciative of our friendship and that you came on the podcast, man. Thank you for being on. Appreciate it. Love, bro. Thank you so much.
For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.